Welcome to The Wrap-Up, our podcast that gives you an insider's look at the top stories in Hollywood. I'm your host, Sharon Waxman, the founder and editor-in-chief of The Wrap, and welcome back to my co-host for the week, The Wrap's assistant managing editor, Adam Chitwood. Hey, Adam. I'm back again. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm <laughs> Yes, you are. I haven't been voted off yet. So thank exactly. you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot to discuss uh, on this week's episode. Uh, we've got everything from the ratings of the Super Bowl, the latest aftermath of the Rust film set shooting. Uh, we'll mm. also be tackling the uh, Warner Media Discovery merger, the Viacom CBS rebranding as Paramount, and all of the fallout from that, including uh, you know why their stock dropped the next day after announcing a ton of new projects. Um, and we'll also be discussing our. our Big, big exclusive about uh, TikTok stars revolting against their manager uh, for poor business practices. That's right. So you don't want to miss that a little later in the show. But first, let's go over some interesting headlines. Of course, we're going to start with the big game, the Super Bowl. Did You did, of course, watch Adam. I did. I did. It was my job to watch. So I was watching. Oh, well, um, you had covering, to watch. Okay. Covering all the trailers. Although, I mean, it, it's interesting, though, because, you know, we had, uh, what were the ratings? 112.3 million people Insane. in an era where everyone, no one is ever watching the same thing at the same time. The Super Bowl mm-hmm. remains king, um, which I just yeah. find utterly fascinating. And those those ratings were a rise of nearly 13% over last year. Uh, mm-hmm. The halftime show that was 103.4 million total viewers. That was up 7% from last year. This year's halftime show, of course, with uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and 50 Cent. Um, mm-hmm. Very throwback vibe to that so- show. Um, yeah. So what did you think about the ratings in the game? I just like you, I'm kind of astounded that anything can gather that number of eyeballs in any one place in this completely fractured digital age. It's just, you know, if, and look at things like the Oscars or the Golden Globes or the Grammys, they are just gasping for viewership every year. What can they do every year? Ask themselves the question as, as the numbers continue to slide and slide and slide. I mean, if they would get 20 million people, you know, for, for the Oscars or the Golden Globes, I think they'd be thrilled to pieces. You're talking about over well over 100 million people. It's really hard to get your head around that, honestly. So, you know, good for good for the Super Bowl and good for good for NBC. I mean, you know, the other thing you can compare it to is the Olympics, which are just sucking yeah. wind right now. Yeah. Um, poor NBC, right? Like they've got this thing going on in China halfway around the world and they their ratings are during COVID with all the problems that are going on and they are just not getting the numbers. So what is it about the Super Bowl? What is it about, I think that halftime show, which this year was just friggin' fantastic. Yeah. These uh, hip hop stars, a Tony who is on the show this week wrote a piece called, a review of the halftime show, which was Five Rap Gods and Mary J. Blige, which I thought was a great <laughs> snapshot of what was going on there. It, yeah. it Really cool, and so many celebrities at the game, of course, because it was here in LA. Uh, I think that, that that they managed to create real excitement and a feeling uh, that you had to watch. Yeah. And that is a very unique quality in today's entertainment landscape. 
Well, and I think the key also is someone like me who doesn't watch football. I watch because, you know, the commercials and that time show, like it's eventized. So why are they mm -hmm. not premiering trailers during the Oscars for the biggest movies of the year? Like, I have no idea. Why are they not eventizing the Oscars by saying like, you know, you may not care about the Oscars, but watch the first trailer for the next Spider-Man or something like that. Like, this is the first place well, you can I, see it. I think that they have, they, they do premiere things during the Oscars, but it doesn't have the same kind of, oomph i would say yeah. for whatever reason but there it's not uh but you bring up a good point but they they do premiere them but they but just not in the in the volume this is just like right. every commercial you want to watch it because it's going to be a fabulously entertaining commercial and then there's going to be a trailer for some movie that you probably want to see yeah or you and might, like you, you said if you don't watch out. it you're not in on the conversation like you do you go to work the next day and everyone's talking about it you didn't see it yeah, but the thing is, people don't go to work the next day right now, right. <laughs> and you still need to, but you're, I guess they're talking about it on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram and, you know, places like that. I guess where, where the social conversation is happening, whether that's in offices or, or online, you, you, there is a feeling that you, you missed something if you weren't watching, right. which is cool. Exactly. exactly. Um, well, moving on to our next story, uh, Discovery is expected to take over Warner Media this April. Uh, the new company name will be Warner Brothers Discovery, of course. Plans for the takeover were announced late last year, but uh, it seems like Discovery is gearing up to take charge ahead of schedule. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. on the priorities list is streaming, rebuilding company culture. Sharon, this comes from your reporting. What what can you tell us? What did you learn? Yeah, so I think that uh, basically the team at Discovery, which is smaller, a smaller company, has been preparing to take over Warner Media for some months, but they have not been allowed to in in basically inside the building or to look under the hood at all. They've been very careful not to do that, so as not to mess up any uh, of the process with federal regulators who might have had you know, sort of monopoly questions or or throw up other barriers to this taking place. As of last week, that those barriers have now gone. There's a deadline that came and went with no objections from the feds. And so now they really can feel like uh, the Discovery folks can roll up their sleeves and get in there and start making decisions around how they want the, the merged companies to look like. So just to remind you, right, everybody knows this, but AT&T is the parent company of WarnerMedia, bought them just a couple of years ago. That company, WarnerMedia, will now be spun off and merged with Discovery, which is essentially a set of cable channels that is run by David Zaslav that he's done a very good job of growing over the past, I don't know, 10 to 15 years in particular, that his team is going to take over Warner Brothers Discovery, even though Warner Brothers is the bigger company with, I think, twice as many, more than twice as many employees as, as Discovery. And what my reporting um, revealed is that the whole sort of corporate layer that is now run by Warner Media CEO, Jason Kylar, is just going to go away. So his role is going to go away. The, the current CFO will now not be needed because you have two organizations coming together. Obviously, there are redundancies. Um, so a lot of people in tech, there's two, there's different streaming services, there's HBO and there's Discovery Plus. Do they need two, two tech teams, two streaming heads? Do they need two HR? No. And so it's going to be the Discovery people who really lead. The question, though, and which is what... I think is intriguing a lot of people right now, and certainly my phone has been ringing quite a lot since my piece ran, is what will happen to the creative leadership at Warner Media, right? So by which I mean Warner Brothers. So the head of HBO, Casey Ploys, the head of uh, Warner Brothers, Ann Sarnoff, the head of Warner Television, Channing Dungey. Uh, there's now three people running uh, CNN since Jeff Zucker was exited, stage left. 
which we talked about a lot last week. Those people's, um, are, are, those folks are really under scrutiny along with their teams. Um, my sense, and I have no knowledge of this, and I think that Discovery hasn't decided either, that, but my, my sense is that most of those people will stay, that that is what um, Discovery is hoping to get the benefit of is, is the depth of talent right on the creative events. Casey Bloys is like killing it at HBO. Uh, Channing Dungey is fairly recently arrived from ABC. She was a big get. Uh, Anne Sarnoff, I think she's very well liked, but, you know, sort of hard to say what she's, what distinctive things she's bringing to the table. People keep asking me about Toby Emmerich. Guys, I don't know about Toby Emmerich. He's been at Warner Brothers since he was in diapers. He'll probably still be there at the end of this thing. Okay, so don't worry about Toby. Toby's good. <laughs> um, well, well yeah. and they're, they're a crown jewel, right? I mean, it, Warner Absolutely. Brothers still pumps out some of the best films of the year, HBO, best programming. And I think a lot of people yeah. agreed that AT&T was a, an odd fit. And there were some mandates put on HBO mm -hmm. to pump out more and more content than maybe they were comfortable with. Um, does this feel like a better fit just quality wise? I think it's a better fit in terms of the category. What we don't know is, and it's true that I, I did keep, keep hearing from the discovery sources, they want to bring culture, they want culture, they want culture. Well, I think it's kind of hard to knock the culture at Warner Media when they've been buffeted and whipsawed by changes in ownership. You know, over the, I could say over the past 30 years, but certainly this is like, you know, AT&T and then... Um, and, that, and now Discovery, this is very, very different. And, and I just remind you that a lot of very, very veteran executives were purged from the company. Richard Plepler from HBO and, um, you know, so many people, Blair Rich uh, running marketing at, at the studio, uh, Peter Roth on the, on the television, so many people. Now you could argue you need new blood and et cetera, et cetera. But these are folks who, who knew the byways, who grew up in this company and they've been gone. There are some who still remain, but honestly, I think just stability would be nice for the people who are trying to create great movies and great television and great miniseries and great limited series and great documentaries and great news. Like a little bit of knowing where you stand and whether the ground under your feet is going to be there, I think would be very helpful for those folks. Right. Uh, well, here's hoping. Yeah, exactly. All right. So next up, let's talk about Alec Baldwin. He and his fellow Rust producers were sued this week by the family of the late cinematographer Helena Hutchins for wrongful death. Uh, and we know that, of course, Alec Baldwin is the person who accidentally shot Helena Hutchins dead on, tragically, on the set of this film. Right. And uh, other defendants named in the lawsuit include the production's assistant director, Dave Halls, who handed uh, Baldwin the firearm that uh, discharged firearm supplier Seth Kinney uh, and the production's armor, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and prop master Sarah Zachary. Uh, the family, they're seeking comp compensatory and punitive damages and a trial probably wouldn't start for another 18 to 24 months. Sharon, you've been on top of this story from the very beginning. What are, what are your thoughts about this latest development? Well, I think uh, obviously this is a huge tragedy and it it's continues to resonate as a huge tragedy. I think people just would like to not think about it too much because there was so much, uh, so much of an outpouring of grief and self-recrimination and questioning of what happened on the set. I think we still do not know enough of what happened on this set. 
uh, on that day why we still don't know the answer to the basic question as to why there was live ammunition on the set anywhere, much less in the gun, the prop gun that Alec Baldwin was handed. But for sure, this lawsuit was just waiting to be filed. It's been, they, they really did take their time to file it because if anyone has a claim of wrongful death, it's certainly Helena Hutchins, a husband and orphaned child or motherless child, I should say now. And um, I, I personally, like so many people, would just really like to understand that basic question of how this was even possible to happen since so much of our reporting at the beginning of this was, this isn't possible. It's not possible. It couldn't have happened. And yet it happened kind of thing. We still don't have uh, something that makes sense of this um, tragedy yet. So I don't know if this will go to trial because I'm sure that the producers and Alec Baldwin would like to make it right with her family and intend to do so, which might mean that it never does make it to trial. Um, and, and whether it does or doesn't, that's not even the point because certainly you don't want to see her family put through more. But the answer to that question, it does seem to me that it is important in terms of assigning accountability and responsibility for this. Right. What exactly happened and how can this be prevented going forward? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, well, now it's time for Wax On, Wax Off, uh, where Sharon gives her thoughts on her favorite person yeah. moment of the week. Sharon, the floor is yours. Thank you. All right, guys. My Wax On this week is the Netflix show Inventing Anna, uh, which I think everybody's watching in our office. Pretty much everybody's watching one or two episodes of this tonight. And this is the story of Anna Delvey, true, true story, fictionalized masterfully by Shonda Rhimes, thank you, Shonda, of a woman who kind of scammed her way through um, upper-class New York society, raising money for a, a very exclusive social club that she wanted to create with the best architect and the best building and the best designers and the best art. Um, and I have to say right now, Julia Garner, what an amazing job she's doing uh, portraying this woman, Anna Delvey, and uh, you should expect to see her when any time comes around. She's just a delight to watch. That's my wax on. My wax off is, I got to say, um, our story, if you haven't read it, about Brad Lambert, a manager who has now been accused of mismanaging and taking advantage of his clients. Uh, it's worth a read. And he's my wax off. He's generally a guy. And again, I, sh I should... Make sure to say that Brad Lambert denies the allegations against him. Uh, at the same time, there are many people on the record who are his former clients, mostly uh, teenagers or just barely outside of being a teenager, who were rising or are remain rising stars on TikTok and other social media platforms, and who found themselves, to their mind, taken advantage of by Brad Lambert, who would appear in their videos, which is highly unusual for a Hollywood manager, and make sure that he was front, as front and center as the client and also seems to have botched some pretty significant business deals for his clients. Um, as I say, Brad Lambert denies these allegations, but um, you will get to hear more about this on the show a little bit from, from the mouth of one of his former clients, and you can decide for yourself. And that is my wax off. That's it for Wax On, Wax Off. And next up, we're going on a deep dive into two of the bigger stories from the rap and rap pro this week. 
The Viacom CBS Investors Extravaganza earlier this week brought us a ton of news, um, not the least of which is that the company is being rebranded to Paramount, and then the next day their stock dropped 18%. Uh, joining us to explain all of this that is extremely confusing to me is the Raps TV editor, Tony <laughs> McNeil. Tony, hey, Tony, what happened? A lot happened. Hey guys, uh, what's going on? We uh, we started with the uh, big investor day news, which is the same day as their earnings news. So as if the day couldn't get any busier, and that seemed to all go pretty well. Um, maybe not their earnings so much didn't go super well, but the presentation at investor day was was pretty impressive and 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 clearly defined uh, their future in the streaming business. And then a new name came about, and that was really exciting. And then their stock went in the toilet. Uh, and their stock went in the toilet primarily because, number one, their earnings weren't great, um, but it wasn't really that so much. It's it's their pivot from this linear legacy company, which was very hate, heavy on uh, cable television and then CBS, of course, their broadcast network. Um, they're, they made a big move pivoting to streaming. Now, it's not like they weren't streaming. They were. They have been for a while. They were CBS All Access, and they wisely rebranded that to Paramount Plus after Viacom and CBS came back together. Um, but now they're starting to see, you know, the writing on the wall in the future really is obviously, as we all know, within streaming. Uh, so they're playing a little bit of catch up, like almost everyone not named Netflix or, or Disney is. But the problem is to play catch up, you have to ramp up your content spend exponentially. And That's you have right. to get subscribers like the three of us um, to sign up early and to stay signed up so that you're getting our four ninety nine or nine ninety nine or twelve ninety nine, whatever your plan is per month. For a long time so the revenue always follows the content spend uh, but the content spend has to happen it has to be big and it has to produce really interesting shows and movies and right now wall street is seeing look we applaud where you're going uh we think you're doing the right thing but your margin for error here is pretty slim and you've got some catching up to do um so we're going to be a little bit more tepid about uh, what we see for uh, for your future earnings. And but future that, I mean, eight, an 18% stock drop is not tepid. That's severe. It is I severe. Mean, it is. Yeah. Well, so the reason for this, specifically, the stock stocks usually drop for a reason that is publicly given uh, to concerned shareholders. So in this case, Bank of America Merrill Lynch, which is obviously a very major bank, dropped the, their guidance on the stock. They dropped it from a buy to a neutral. And that signals, all right, we're a little bit nervous here. We're not as confident as we used to be. So when a major right. bank that really does their homework on a daily basis downgrades you, it's always going to impact your stock. Um, not a lot of other people and not a lot of other big banks or, or analysts necessarily downgraded Viacom CBS slash now Paramount stock, mm -hmm. but a couple of other analysts did cut their price by a few dollars. Um, you know, and now to be fair to, uh, to Viacom CBS Paramount, a couple other people still, a couple other analysts still believe that it is an undervalued stock. So nobody really knows where to go, mm -hmm. but there is this immediate, you know, freak out sale anytime something happens like Bank of America, Merrill Lynch downgrading your stock. Well, how Why significant? Did... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Adam. No, well, I was going to say, yeah. how sig they announced a bunch of stuff. They announced a ton of new Taylor Sheridan shows, and yet you still cannot stream Yellowstone on Paramount Plus. You can only stream it on Peacock. How significant would that have been had they been able to secure or get back their license to stream the biggest show on cable TV right now on only on Paramount Plus? Yeah, well, so they still get the money 
from, you know, the Paramount Network is it's like the highest rated show on TV. And it's on Paramount Network that the three of us couldn't find if we were in front of our TV. Exactly. Right, now, right. Exactly. So the P, you know, the, the fact that they do not have uh, Yellowstone on Paramount Plus, humongous miss. I think Bob Backish called it regrettable, which is one way to put it. Um, so they, they blew it. Mm-hmm. They blew it on that. But what are you going to do? I mean, you have to ride out your, your contract. Similarly to how South Park, they made a bunch of money licensing it to HBO Max, where it currently is right now. They said that they're getting it back in a few years. And, and so that's great. It's good to have your own IP. And it's not like they gave it away for a song. They got hundreds of millions of dollars for the library. So, you know, you make these deals not really knowing what the future looks like. And, and you just have to live with them. But yeah, not having Yellowstone is massive. I don't even know where to watch Yellowstone. And I'm a TV editor of it's, um, standard trade publication. It's crazy. It's <laughs> Peacock, right? It's on Peacock? It's yeah, on Peacock. Yeah, it yeah so I do know where to watch it. But I was like <laughs> looking through Hulu, looking through this. It, it's, yeah. the, the point is it's so uh, the opposite of what an intuition would be. You know, we right. do this for a living, but you, what you need is the average dues-paying subscriber right. assuming this is on Paramount Network, it's on Paramount Plus, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the new content? Well, why was that not enough? They announced a new Star Trek movie. They announced, again, like five new Taylor Sheridan shows. Halo TV shows coming. What? What are? Where are they falling short? Uh, in contrast to Netflix and Disney Plus. Well, I think they're doing a nice job with their IP. They're doing what Disney does, right? And to get subscribers early in the game here in the streaming wars, which it feels like it's not, but it still is because this is going to go on forever, right? You see what Disney Plus is doing. They're doing everything Star Wars, everything Marvel, everything humanly possible. Because you have to get subscribers now. And whether it's getting them through a Verizon phone deal or because they're paying for it or whatever the case might be, you want them now because you don't want to be that odd SVOD service out in a few years from now when we finally all settle on five and say, that's it. We're not doing more. We're not doing all of these. So Paramount Plus is doing exactly what they should be doing, which is like every Nickelodeon thing you could think of. You know, all the Star Trek stuff, the Ninja Turtles, every single, you know, Dora the Explorer piece of IP that they have, they're going crazy at now because they want you, like, next year to be a Paramount Plus subscriber. And that's how they envision getting from what their guidance was, 65, 75 million subs by 2024. Now they're thinking over 100 million. So they have to spend a ton of money right now to make very expensive shows and movies like Halo and like Star Trek, all that stuff costs a ton of money. So it's, it's great IP. And for us, it may hook us in and be like, this is now worth my five to 12 to $14 a month. But it costs, you know, that's an individual, that's one person, they have to lay out literal billions of dollars in content spend to bring these things to life. And not well, only but, is that but, really expensive, it takes time. But the other thing is that I, th- I think that they were uh, disclosed that they're going to be spending $6 billion on this new content in the next, I don't know, is it three years or something like that? Um, mm-hmm. But that's not, that's nothing when compared to what Netflix is spending and what Disney Plus is spending. It's like really uh, a small blip compared to what the competition is spending. So they do have a great IP library. They're just behind. I mean, I, I remember, you know... It, when, when we talked about a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, that the streaming wars were coming, now that they're here, do we think that all of these services are going to survive? Or do we think that only three or four of them, with the top two being Netflix and Disney Plus, 
And I don't know, you can maybe, maybe Amazon because Amazon can outspend anybody for anything. Maybe is three, I don't know. I mean, Amazon is still embryonic when it comes to actually being a content producer. But what do you, what do you think, Tony, in terms of longer term over the horizon, where we end up with these streaming platforms? Yeah, I mean, we're just turning it into a cable bundle, obviously. Uh, yeah, and, right, know, right. I don't, know, I don't know what the magic number is, but I think people generally think something like six to seven, maybe eight, because there are, there, there are some that are something for everyone, a Netflix type. Paramount Plus is trying to be something for everyone. They have kids, they have news, they have sports. You know, you, you mentioned Amazon. Amazon's not going away unless Amazon wants to go. Prime exactly. Video to go away. Because That's right. People subscribe to Amazon to get diapers in, with two-day free shipping. They just happen to also be able to watch Jack Reacher. Like, cool, that's a great bonus. Um, mm -hmm. So I think we're probably thinking six or seven, and there are a lot of really good options in the market. I mean, I can't live without Netflix. But let me tell you, you know, I say this a lot. It's almost like I'm working for Apple TV+. Plus. Apple TV+, Plus, which is often overlooked, has some of the best shows on, on yeah. streaming. And so, and like, mm -hmm. as you mentioned before, <laughs> they have endless money. Apple as a, as a company, you know. Well, well, I was talking about Amazon, but Apple also mm. has endless money, even yeah. more endless money, probably. Yeah. So it, it truly depends on how management there sees it. Like, is it a write-off? Is it a cost of, of acquiring? They don't need these services to make money. Paramount Plus does need to eventually become profitable. Netflix, mm -hmm. obviously, is Netflix's entire business. It needs to be able to make money. Disney Plus needs to, at some point, you know, it, it needs to make money. But again, Disney has theme parks right disney is a right they have a lot of a lot of different ways that they yeah. yeah they monetize in different ways um i i think it's it's the idea of the competition that you're up against when you're uh sherry redstone running running biocom cbs now paramount um it's really daunting when you when you are up against competitors who can spend for unlimited unlimited amounts of money for un limited amounts of time that feels like an impossible equation you know if you were a harvard business school class they would just tell you take your take your ball and go home or but get gobbled they, up or, or get acquired or get, or get swallowed yeah, yeah right well let me I mean, add this I mean, as paramount plus is trying you mentioned like something for everyone what is what's the recipe for success now because like stranger things broke out but like you know, Jeff Bezos said, bring me the next Game of Thrones. The Lord of the Rings trailer didn't seem to make much of an impression on the zeitgeist. Yeah. Is, are streaming services looking for that thing that's going to, like, get everyone? Or are they looking for just a bunch of niche material like Disney Plus with, you know, Star Wars heads come here and Marvel heads come here and kids come here? I think it depends who you are. I think Netflix needs everyone. They have, like, 221 million subscribers. I think Disney Plus to an extent sort of needs everyone, but Disney plus has this cool advantage where like my kids, it's worth it just to watch Encanto over and over and over and over again for my kids. And if I happen to watch the Beatles documentary, or if I was into star Wars or more into Marvel, like bonus great. So they have a sort of something for everyone, um, but not in the same way. No, I, I, I disagree. I think they're, I think Disney is struggling to be, to be a service that I think they want to be what you're saying, something for everyone, but I'm a perfect example of somebody who they can't get. I'm, I'm an empty nester. My kids are grown. Mm. I have no need for Disney as kids. I am not a sports fanatic and I am, I, I have been habituated to being an HBO um, viewer for, pre, for premium shows for decades, if Disney wants to get me, they have to have something 
really exceptional, like the Beatles documentary that Peter Jackson did. And what the, what we what the studies find is that people sign up for those, and then half of them or more drop off. Mm. They see these enormous Correct. spikes. So anyway, I hate to argue with you, Tony. No, I no, you're, to listen, you're right. You, you bring up a great point. I'm a 40 year old <laughs> with two kids under five. It's a different ballpark for me. I'm now, an eight mom. year old with exactly. <laughs> my mom needs Disney Plus because she's got grandkids. But you're right. I don't. I don't really. I'm not attracted to their their shows that are particularly aimed at me. They do try to have something for every age range. But no, that is a, that is a great point. Our experiences are all completely unique, and that's the exact same way that we consume television. Yeah, I think it's day. tough. I mean, so if we end up with six or seven, okay, give me your right now. We're going to write it down, put it mm -hmm. in a time capsule. Who are, give me your top six that survive. Well, you mentioned HBO. So I'm going to say them first. I'm going to say HBO slash HBO Max because you're okay. absolutely right. We haven't talked about them here, but Prestige. HBO, Disney Plus, uh, of course, Netflix, Amazon Prime Video. But it's, you know, it's just a bonus for what it is. Apple TV Plus. Oh, Paramount no, you only Plus. get one left. That's it. Six, you're done. Paramount over Peacock. I'm not taking Peacock. You're taking Peacock. Okay. If you want to give me Hulu. I, I can't. I have no more fingers. It's only six. That's all you get. <laughs> then I'll stop. Then I will stop right there. Is no Hulu problem. going away or is Disney just going to use Hulu as like, okay, we'll put our R-rated stuff over here with the acquisition of 20th Century Fox? That's a great question. Hulu, one of the great things about Hulu that it, it still exists and thrives as a standalone companies yeah they got that they have that sort of thing right going for them that they have a lot of like as you put it r-rated stuff or, or adult oriented stuff they actually have a gr lot of great originals coming out soon in terms of, of of tv they they lost seinfeld and some of their big uh library content but here's the thing about hulu their hulu live tv plus a uh, live tv service hulu plus live tv is what i'm trying to say expensive but really good it's like the best option for for legitimate cord cutters who still need to watch, you know, real TV, but don't want to have a, a, a traditional cable bundle or cable mm -hmm. subscription. So it's not cheap because primarily of the sports rights. Um, and it's only a small portion of their overall, like 40 million, I think like 5 million of their 40 something million subscribers have Hulu plus live TV, but it's a really great service. It works really super well. And if I was able ever cutting my cord, it would be Maybe it used to be YouTube TV. I would go with Hulu Plus Live TV. So oh, we didn't talk that's about YouTube. Something... Yeah, <laughs> that's, I think well, that's, that's kind of one of your six. Probably it's not. It's, it ain't premium, but it's crushing everybody else in terms of uh, revenue, crushing, YouTube. and 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 viewer numbers. My last question to you: What what one of your stories that um, you wrote? Is it this week or last week that just had a lot of interest? Was about Fox. The mm -hmm. new fox, what, what, you know, baby fox, I don't know what we call it, Rupert's fox. Um, mm -hmm. Are they, they, they act like they're in the game. What are they doing? What do you mean? Can you, uh, in, in what in term, way? Well, it is in terms of being a, a competitor in the, either in the content wars, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I won't even say well, streaming. Listen, yeah, no, well, I mean, they do, they, they do have their free streaming, uh, you know, Tubi does this pretty well, which by the way, we didn't mention, I, I should shout out Pluto TV about Paramount Plus, probably mm. their most successful thing right now is their free yeah. streaming app, Pluto TV, yep. which brings in a ton of uh, advertising revenue. So it's like, yeah, we could pay monthly subscription prices, but this other thing isn't going away either. Um, but Fox is a player, but Fox is a player on its own scale. They know what they do well. They, you know, obviously sold a ton of assets to, to Disney, but they still right. have sports. They still have the mm -hmm. NFL rights. You know, mm -hmm. they have wrestling rights. They have, uh, they have the World Series rights with baseball. 
But Fox News is just killing it. I mean, you know, like it or not, it really it is such a, a sustainable business. Now, I'm sure they, you know, pay their personalities a, a, a ton of their revenue as well. But I mean, they're so far and above um, their competitors in terms of, you know, ratings that their advertising dollars are just through the roof. And, and Fox Nation, which is their uh, basically Fox News streaming app, is is possibly you know, doing streaming news the best. I think streaming news is something that we really haven't quite figured out just yet. Right. And I know CBS right. is certainly trying to, and, and Fox, you know, may have a little bit of a, a step up uh, on that process at this point. It's, it's really hard for me to say, but, you know, Fox is like a little engine that could situation. They, they are hyper-focused on the assets that they have remaining, and, and I think they do a, a pretty good job. Mm. Well, that was a whirlwind and fascinating tour of the content and streaming landscape. Tony Maglio, thank you so much. Uh, big shout out to you for all your years at The Wrap because we are sad to share with our listeners that Tony is leaving The Wrap after nearly a decade here uh, to take on a new challenge. So we wish him lots of luck. We will miss him sorely, but we will be reading you with interest as always. Thank you, Tony. I will miss you too. Thank you so much. Tony, don't go. I'll give you your own Taylor Sheridan show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>of the TikTok and other social media communities are calling out Hollywood manager Brad Lambert. In a new exclusive investigation by The Wrap, our reporter Umberto Gonzalez uh, have talked to many social media stars who've shared their stories about their interactions with Lambert, which have ranged from credit hogging to self-promotion and even botched contract negotiations. Um, we should note that Brad Lambert has vehemently denied any wrongdoing, has called the claims very hurtful, quote unquote, really hurtful. Um, Umberto is here with us with one of the people in his stories, TikTok star Matt Ramos, a.k.a. Soups, who has 2.7 million followers, and they are here to tell us more. Uh, Umberto, tell us what was the origin of the story and sort of what's the what's the net net uh, on this? Because you've spent many months looking into the situation. Yeah, about six months, longer than my own, my newborn son's been alive. Basically, right. um, Ramos you, could have named, you could have named your kid after him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Ramos over here, uh, and thank you for coming on, Matt, uh, was doing videos, and a couple of agents and some managers uh, reached out. This can't be ethical to see this 33-year-old man with a 19-year-old kid and his content. So it caught my attention, uh, and Matt being Latino, too, was was a... It was a bit extra for me too. I see, I see this guy and this content and stuff, and then I started just looking deeper and deeper into it, and basically discovered that Mr. Lambert was just worked for a brief spell at Robert Downey Jr.'s team, Downey Banner, as a development intern, and then he used that small relationship that he had and plastered it on his social media to lure these impressionable young social media stars under the guise of a management contract. When in fact, the deals that he was getting or trying to negotiate for his clients, he was trying to figure out a way to enrich himself more than his clients and see how he could what, but, raise his own social media footprint at, on the well, back. Explain of these young that. Stars. Explain what that. I mean, of course, a manager is looking to get rich. Obviously, every agent manager in town, you've covered that for years. That's the name of the game. What's the difference here with what what Brad Lambert was doing as a manager to help his clients make money and he make money compared to the normal conventional ways of doing business. 
basically he would insert himself in his client's content. That's unethical and quite frankly illegal. You can't do that. It's like when Matt Reeves' agent negotiated a Batman deal uh, for where I used to direct. It's like the agent asking the studio, oh, by the way, could you stick a part with me or could I co-direct with him? And could I stand next to Batman? You can't do that. Uh, to do deals in this town, to procure deals in this, you have to be either a licensed attorney or a licensed talent agent, of which Mr. Lambert is neither. And he's on the record in his own words and answered this question in the presence of his attorney. Are you licensed and bonded in the state of California as a talent agent? He said no. So I don't think he was aware that he was breaking the law because the labor commissioner here enforces that very strictly. And uh, he was just running rampant, signing these kids to contracts that are not enforceable in court and uh, basically kind of double dipping. Like he would partner with Matt and maybe charge him 50%, but then pivot Matt, hey, why don't we try this duo thing? Let's pitch a show to Snapchat together to see if we could work together and make this duo thing happen. Uh, and Matt, if you want to interject, uh, tell us. Yeah, I want, I want, I want to hear from Matt. I also want to just, uh, name, uh, number check that you said 50%. I don't know any manager that takes 50%. Exactly. There's sort of like a partnership thing. He would, he would pivot from a management con contract to like a mm -hmm. partnership situation. And mm -hmm. that's quite frankly illegal. And against mm -hmm. the Los Angeles talent agency act, you can't charge more than 10%, but this guy was charging 15 on the, on the surface of his contract, which we are in possession of from boss logic another client, and then trying to do this partnership thing with his clients as well. So it's like, it's disgusting, quite frankly. Okay, so so just to clarify, because I think I misheard, you said 15%, not He was charging 15%. 15%. Okay, okay, Matt, then, over to you. What, so what's what is what's your story and why uh, were you feeling like you were not being well served by Brad Lambert? Well, I originally met Brad back during the pandemic, and that's when I really started to, started to skyrocket and blow up on social media, reaching you know millions of people, averaging anywhere between 100 to 170, 180 million impressions within the last 60 days. Um, wow. And then I, you know, I, I met Brad. He messaged me on social media, and at that point in time, I was trying to just find guidance because I'm so young in this space. I'm trying to you know, I'm trying to work and collaborate with all of the major studios that I've grown up loving their projects. I'm trying to, you know, walk the, the red carpets and attend cool events because that's something that, you know, it's, it's just a part of my story. I, I've grown up reading the comics, playing with the action figures, dressing up as the characters. So to be able to collaborate with the studios on, on promoting these projects and helping elevate them, it's a dream come true for me. And mm -hmm. then I, I went, once Brad contacted me, I, you know, I, looked at his social media and I saw him posting pictures with Robert Downey Jr. attending all of these events that I really would just love to go to. And that's when, you know, judges judging off of the surface level, I was like, yeah, this, this guy seems like he knows what he's doing. So, you know, it's probably in my best interest to, to work with him and, you know, have him help me get to those events. But as time continued to go on and I continued to, you know, succeed and grow and reach more people, I started getting these opportunities on myself from for, for, by myself. I started getting, right. you know, brand sponsorships, brand opportunities. Uh, the, the studios would invite me to events to, you know, come and like cover it on my social media channels. And all of the, all of the events that we ended up going to in 2020 from black widow to eternals to Shang-Chi um, at all of those events, Brad was my plus one because I was the one who was getting the invitations and kind of, because we were like already working together, it was kind of just like by default that he was my plus one because, you know, because he's my manager. So 
he was my plus one to all of those events. So, so instead of him getting you into those events, you're getting him into those events. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and I then, saw him uh, early on. I saw him at Black Widow. And I, when I was, when it came to my attention, and, and we were at the same events at these premieres, and I would see, I would see Ramos, and Lambert would also, was on him like a shadow. I was trying to get to Ramos, but I, it was impossible to get to him because Lambert would not let him go from his sight. So it's like it created a challenge for me until I guess they divorced in late October 2021. Well, and you also, I mean, you did interviews with uh, Judy Greer for Halloween Kills and Brad is sitting there right next to you, which is kind of strange. How did he kind of pitch that <laughs> as totally you two? Weird. Yeah. How did he pitch that as you two both, you know, interviewing this actress for this movie at the same time? Yeah. So that was actually like Br Brad already had like connections with the people over at Universal. So that was one of those situations where he was kind of just like, hey, like. Um, I mean, this is just like, I don't know what went down between him and his conversations with the Universal because I was kept out of that loop. Um, but I'm sure it was just something along the lines of, hey, like I have this kid who has 160 million impressions in the last 60 days. Um, would you guys be against having us sit down with Judy Greer for like 10 minutes to interview her? And again, it was a duo thing because he was essentially using my following and my ability to reach people to insert himself into those opportunities and help elevate himself because now he can post that he interviewed Judy Greer and Andy Matichak and, you know, worked with Universal on promoting Halloween kills. Matt, how, how old are you? Can I ask? Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm 20. I just turned 20 this October. All right. The big 2-0. The big 2-0. <laughs> and yes. how long have you been um, sort of creating this career for yourself on TikTok? So I've been creating content and producing content since I was 16 years old. So mm -hmm. it's been four years. I was a junior in high school when I first started. And, you know, every, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I was able to I was generating enough income to be able to sustain myself. And, you know, recently, last July, I moved out here to L.A., left my family. And now we're just trying to continue to elevate, reach more people and do cooler things. And, and so what's your kind of... Um... What do you see for yourself in your career? Do you want to stay on TikTok? Do you think that's actually a career in and of itself for you? Well, for me, Sharon, I don't personally label myself one thing. I don't label myself a TikToker, a YouTuber. Mm -hmm. I would even mm -hmm. go as far as I don't, I don't even just label myself a social media influencer. I also label myself a journalist, a host, you know, this, that. I think as human beings, we're all so complex and we're not just one thing. So I never mm -hmm. like to put myself in a box and moving forward, like all of the ventures that I'm trying to explore and develop there, there's things I'm developing that I've never really done before or are tapping into an industry that I've never really explored before, but I'm passionate about it. So I don't really like to put myself in one box and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. How has it been for you since uh, untethering from, you know, Brad Lambert? Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was extremely, it was extremely difficult because you know, having moved out here to LA, leaving everything I've ever known, ever everything I've ever loved, um, you know, it's scary. Where'd you, come, where'd you come from? I came from Miami. Miami, okay. So yeah, like uh, again, like moving away from all of that, it was it was very scary and it, it felt very lonely at times. But you know, once Umberto gave me the call, I, you know, I I hadn't even talked to anyone about this situation, and Umberto gave me a call, and it just felt like so, just like it felt like you know someone was there for me. It felt like I had family, like someone you know, just understood my situation. And it, it, I, I didn't feel like I was so alone anymore. And that's that I, I wasn't even the one who reached out to Umberto. Umberto reached out to me 
you know, because he found out that that Brad and I had split from someone else. And it just it just gave me a certain level of comfort and peace that I wasn't alone in the situation. And then yeah. moving forward, you know, uh, when, when usually when we face certain adversity like this, you kind of see who, who are your real friends and who are the real people that are there for you. And, you know, a ton of people came to my side and were just there for me and have been helping me uh, kind of just make this transition into the next chapter of my life. Umberto, what, what do you think uh, will happen to Brad Lambert? Well, we're currently out to the Labor Commissioner's office. They have my findings and waiting comment from them that was, I was supposed to hear from yesterday. Uh, mm -hmm. Breaking news, uh, Lambert has three sponsors. Two of the three have given us statements uh, and are not going to work with them anymore. I'm waiting on the third one. And um, the, are these are brands or? Brands, yeah. Brands? Two okay. brands. Uh, I think they sponsor Matt as well. But, uh, yeah, and then seeing if the Labor Commissioner will proceed forward with an investigation because, again, Lambert was operating as an unlicensed talent agent in this town with impunity, quite frankly. You know, he's on record in his own words about being a deal maker and negotiating deals and it's in his contracts and stuff. And Labor Commissioner does not look lightly upon that. Mm -hmm. Well, I highly recommend to our listeners to read uh, Umberto's investigation. It's absolutely fascinating. It opens with this incredible scene in the office of Asad Ayaz, um, uh, the head of marketing at Disney, and sort of like a drop the mic moment of, of you know, the way these negotiations would go down. And um, it's just some great reporting by you, Umberto. So uh, congratulations to you. And you. Matt, I'm, I'm glad that you feel heard. That's kind of why the wraps around is to uh, make you. sure that there is uh, somebody who can actually hear all the voices in entertainment and not just the most powerful ones. So we'll be continuing to follow the story. And Umberto, thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for coming on to the wrap up. Thanks Thank so you. much for joining us. And that is it for the latest episode of The Wrap-Up. Thank you to all of our listeners. And remember to follow or subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us and let us know what you think of the pod. See you next time. Mm -hmm.